these ladies here in our virtual room, they went to the Commonwealth Esports Championship and they won the gold medal there like a boss. The views, information and opinions expressed in this podcast and this YouTube channel are solely the views of the individuals involved. It does not reflect the views of their organizations, employers and employees past, present and future. Like this show? Then rate it 5 stars and subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Uncool is a podcast by creatives at work. It is produced, written and hosted by Sean Lee Wen-Chong and co-hosted by Yenling Lo, co-produced by Raven Lim and edited by Ray Ng. Uncool. It's cool to be uncool. So Yenling, you know, in our last edition of Uncool, we talked about the psychology of money. So we talked about how freelancers can get started on stocks. Maybe they're thinking about buying a place of their own. We talked about new instruments like crypto, Web 3.0, NFTs. And then we talked about passive income. Yep, so if you guys didn't listen, I strongly encourage you guys to go back to the last edition and check it out if you can. Very simple to do that, you already found our show, so use your fingers, scroll down a little bit, and you're there. The last few episodes should not be hard to find. And so this time around though, what we want to unpack is really how people behave. It's one thing for people to tell you, hey, this is really cool to do, but of course, what do you actually do? So as usual, we like to speak to uncool people and we want to find out the stories, of course, that has shaped that psychology. And so we should check out our guest today, Yanding. And you know, I think they're like the gold standard because these ladies here in our virtual room, they've just come back from Birmingham last week. Uh, and they and at Birmingham, they did something really cool. So if you're watching us on YouTube right now, you can see that the ladies are waiting to show us something uh, really, really cool. If you are not and you're just listening to us, on Spotify, then you should take a look at our YouTube, right? Because these ladies are about to show us their goal. Commonwealth Esports Gold Champion Gold Medal is so bling! Where does this rank on the scale of 1 to 10? Definitely the first one. Yeah. This is the prettiest. This is the yeah. prettiest got the gold. This is the prettiest. prettiest of the home, all the medals she's won. They went to the Commonwealth Esports Championship and then they went undefeated and they won the gold medal there like a boss yes yeah, so coming <laughs> so, to us in our virtual studio is the malaysian women's dota 2 team grills gaming and of course in this edition of uncool as you can tell you'll be speaking to guests from abroad as well not just singapore because you know there are always uncool people all over, all over the place but not just singapore right? yeah why not <laughs> hello um i'm Star. you can call me betty i am from selangor a small town named clang i am nada I'm the newest edition of Grills Gaming, and I'm actually from Sarawak, which is in the east side of Malaysia. Hi everyone, I'm Tiffany, also known as Oling. I'm a um, retired esports athlete, currently working in the esports industry, also helping to manage the Grills Gaming team. I'm currently living in Johor Bahru. So it's really all over Malaysia today, we have our guests. <laughs> That's one great thing about now doing our interviews uh, virtually. We can get anyone from all over the world. Before we go on, right, I just want to clarify, Tiffany, your nickname is Oling. Yes. The reason behind this in-game name is that my Chinese name sounds a lot like orange. So I used the word orange as my IGN originally. Then later on, uh, my friends, like Malaysian friends, they tried to pronounce the word orange, orange, and then after a while, it just sounded more like Oling for some reason. I found it very endearing and cute, so I just took Oling as my IGN instead. So that's the story behind it. Oh, I see. So we are actually mispronouncing it. It's actually Oling. Oling, Oling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like and... it's actually Oling now. <laughs> so you're not mispronouncing it. 
What about you other ladies? Is uh, you all have a, a name as well that you came up with? Like, is Eyestar like a name you came up with? Or? Uh, yes. It's back from MapleStory days. Oh, MapleStory. At least I played something <laughs> that you guys played. Uh, and what about you, Nada? What are you known as? Actually, my full in-game name was actually Nada Haru. But in the heat of the moment, I kind of forgot my full in-game name was Nada Haru. So I, I just put Nada instead. But... How I came up with Nada Haru was just uh so Nada is like a nickname for me from the start because of my name so it's very hard to pronounce my name it's, it's understandable and Haru is just spring in Japanese and I thought it was cute Nada Haru so that's how it started. I love how you guys just derived your names from the most random places ever. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but out of all this randomness, is you know you guys want gold, so maybe you can tell us how that moment felt like, right? When you heard the, the Malaysian national anthem coming up and sister on the podium in Birmingham, I was just happy I got to play on a land tournament. That's all. Wow, so 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 simple. I just wanted to play, and now you have a gold medal. <laughs> is it one thing off your bucket list at least? So I just happened to play, uh, and I happened to win the gold. Uh. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> what about for the rest of the team? For me, it didn't really hit until the award like, giving ceremony. So when we first won, we, I just didn't really feel it until like they gave us the medal and we just stood there for the national anthem when it was being played. Then I was like, oh, I just won. So for me, that was the moment I feel like, oh, well, I actually just won this tournament. Yeah. Oh my goodness. How, how did it feel for you, Tiffany, as your team manager? Uh, for me, I was backstage with the coach when I heard the national anthem play on stage. So looking at the girls, I felt a surge of pride. And I sang the national anthem very loudly. So at that moment, I was really, really proud of them, basically, and what we have accomplished. So uh, what was the whole tournament like in Birmingham? Cold sandwiches. <laughs> mm, very limited <laughs> amount of time to train as a team. The dorm was really small. Okay, I don't know. Let me think of something good. Yeah, your gold medal. Yeah. <laughs> the tournament itself, actually, we got the notice to like form the team and join quite last minute. That's why we had limited time to like practice and prepare for the qualifiers. And then there were some issues with the qualifier scheduling also. So everything was a bit messy on the tournament operation side, which is why like to us, it was like, uh, all the way until the day we flew, we weren't sure whether we were actually traveling to Birmingham. Like, that was how last oh, minute yes. everything was. But after we got there, it felt like very refreshing, I would say. Because it's the first time that we actually got to travel together as a team. Like, as a female team to a land tournament. Like, land meaning like offline tournament. Lah. So, it was, a, I would say, even a life-changing experience. Because a tournament of such scale and also to be organized by the Commonwealth Federation is something that really means a lot differently than any other tournament that we have participated in before. Because this time we were like donning the national flag on our jackets and actually going there, traveling there as part of the Malaysian national contingent. And also because we flew like Malaysia Airlines to Birmingham, so on the way, the air stewardess, they actually noticed like us wearing the national athlete jackets and everything. So they 
ask us like, oh, so what event are you guys competing at at Birmingham? Uh, oh, esports. What is it? Then uh, we try to explain to them and everything. Then after that, everyone just wish us good luck. Like they, the the S towards and S towards, they just took turns to wish us good luck. That was really sweet and heartwarming, actually. And that was also the moment when it really hit us. I guess that we were really representing the country in something that's huge, and we can potentially bring glory back to the country. Can you tell us about the final? Uh, we were playing against England for our finals. We were feeling pretty confident about it. I would say. Um. We walk on stage. We were feeling very hard, very confident about it. Zero doubts with the team, and then Tiff. We, she also hyped us up on stage, and then she she did the hurdle. So that really made me like, yeah, I want to play this game after she did that. I don't know if it's true. I've I've ever heard about this before. Like playing the final. Of course, it's certain it's stressful or something, but it's not as stressful as if you played like the bronze medal match because if the one you lose, you don't win anything. But at least in the final, if you lose or or you know you still you still go a lot of silver. Like right? was there like a sense of relief or something that yes, I'm going to be on the podium regardless. Uh, coming up to that moment, or you really really even say I'm go it's, let's go for it. You know, there's no no one remembers who finishes second. I think for us, uh, I would say for most of us. Our mindset going into the games are, we've always aiming for goal and nothing lesser than that. Yeah. But of course, we have to say, oh, we're aiming for podium finish. I love how humble you guys are. Just like, no, <laughs> it's but fine. Do not. You have to hype us up. <laughs> we sort of discussed already that we find out that they aren't really that strong of an opponent. We just had to play normally. And for for me, since I'm playing the carry role, I just had like a NASA space to like farm the entire game, so it was pretty much secure. Very interesting. I play my normal game. I win a gold medal. I don't want to know what happens if you play an abnormal game. <laughs> what do you win? <laughs> it seems like it was like easy sip for you guys. Yeah, I know. they're like, oh, never mind. Uh. No, so what was it? But really, was it that easy to finish the whole tournament? Honestly. Like when we signed up for the Commonwealth Esports Championships, the whole idea was like we knew some of these other teams, and like basically we were confident to get that podium finish because we knew that our team skills wise was um probably better than some of the other teams in the competition. They basically just like Betty said, just had to perform. Up to their usual standards, and that was probably already like good enough to beat out the other competitors. Have a story to tell, a product, or an event to promote? Give it a voice with a story on a podcast. Just drop us a note at contact at creatives at work dot asia to find out how uncool might just be the cool way to do that. Who knows? Your story could be the next gold standard featured on Uncool. Can you guys tell us how? You got together, having come from all over Malaysia. The team was originally formed in twenty sixteen with a slightly different lineup. We competed together under the girls gaming banner. Then after that, we won a like a Southeast Asian tournament as well. Then after that, because of a lack of sponsorship and then like some issues happened, and then we just sort of went our separate ways. And then that was when I retired also from competitive gaming. 
Then some of the team members, they uh, continued competing, but in mixed nationality teams. Some of them joined Singaporean teams, some of them um, teamed up with like Filipino players and all that. That went on for several years until early this year, I learned about the Commonwealth Championships. And then basically the National Malaysian National Federation, they were asking us to like put together uh, the strongest team, the strongest female Dota 2 team in Malaysia to represent the country in this tournament. So then that's when I gathered up all my old teammates and then I asked them like, hey, there's this opportunity to represent the country, to play in the Commonwealth Championships. Are you guys up for it? And then that's how this team was like reformed again this year. Right, right. Mm. Wow. So, so, so it sounds like you've had many discouraging moments along the way up to this point. I think esports is not a very conventional career choice in the first place, right? It's not something that a lot of people do. You can't really run away from, you know, comments, just people discouraging you and just undermining your skills just because you're a female. I find it normal to get lots of hate. Probably the past few years, I let it affect me a lot. So if I lose a game and uh, maybe a certain words were said in the game, I would think about it a lot and I'll get very depressed, I would cry, I would blame myself for why this happens and stuff. But uh, over the years, I try to think that it is normal and that if I just ignore it and focus on myself, I would do better. So yeah, it wasn't easy, but it's, it's normal. So what's like the worst thing you've ever said to you about your team, Tiffany? For example, they would say like, oh, this girl probably, she slept with someone to get to where she, <gasps> she is today. And I tend to block these comments out of my mind because I try not to like keep them in my mind all the time because if you do that, it can really affect you. This is the sort of like toxic gatekeeping mentality that I would say makes it much harder for women to even stay in the esports industry. And that's an example of the soft tactics used by people to demean women in the industry and like maybe undermine their merits or contribution. And it's quite common, unfortunately. The next time someone tries to say something negative about you, your team, right? You just take a gold medal and go, I've got a gold medal, you go on, Anna. Well, well, f*** you, i got a gold medal. <laughs> So, so, and I, I and, uh, and you know, I, I, I'm sure. Um, for those of us who don't fully really understand what esports is about and all the things to describe, maybe you can explain to us, like, the whole esports industry. Like, for those who don't fully understand it, esports is a small subset of gaming that revolves exclusively around tournaments and leagues, and it has more overlaps with like the sports and entertainment industries, in the sense where you actually have professional production teams working on producing live content to be broadcasted or distributed on online platforms or TV. And then you have the offline events team running the physical event at the venue for the on-ground audience, like your NBA or Premier League games. So just like in sports, the whole ecosystem in esports is built around these events. You have your offline events crew, technicians, planners, marketers to put the event itself together. And then you have your online broadcasting crew who work behind the scenes to produce the live feed. And then there are talents such as hosts, commentators, panelists, 
And then, of course, you have the stars of the show, which are the esports players themselves. The jobs surrounding esports will be events-related because that's what esports is all about, the tournaments and events. So being part of an events team or broadcasting team means like a lot of sleepless nights, basically, before events. Um, because during crunch time, you will have to spend most of your time uh, rushing out content, preparing materials, and then you know how events work is like. Uh, it's usually like that. So, um, but the good thing is in between events, you get really long breaks. Uh, but that may not be a good thing also in the sense where your paychecks are also event-based. So that's something for everyone to consider also. Uh. So other than the events-related jobs, you also have like the... The on-screen talents, um, like shoutcasting, commentating, and then analysts, the desk panelists at events. Some of these talents are managed under talent agencies. Some of them are like independent. So it all comes down to how you want to develop your talent career, like your career as a talent. So other than on-screen talents, you also have esports players. That goes without saying. That's what we've been covering uh, earlier also. So for esports player, the main difference actually between competitive and professional players is whether or not you are salaried or being paid to actually train in a gaming house and then compete full-time. So with the salary itself of course it will come with a lot of expectations on um, your in-game performance how you hold yourself in front of the media um, whether or not you give back to your fans and then it comes with a lot of obligations basically so being a professional player is not as simple as like just training and competing you're basically um, signing up for a lot of different responsibilities. You have to answer to your fans. You have to answer to those who pay your salaries. You also have to answer to sponsors. So yeah, those are all part and parcel of being professional players. And then other than esports players, you also have like the entire support structure um, behind the teams and players. So you have like your team psychologist, nutritionist. You have your team club owners. And then you have your team managers, general managers, social media managers, and all that. It sounds very similar to like an F1 race. Yeah, actually. correct. It's essentially wow. the same thing. That's why a lot of people have this like misconception that esports is equal to gaming. But that's not really the case. Esports is actually closer to like sports and entertainment. I think a lot of people have have this misconception also that esports is meritocratic like that everyone's on a level playing field as long as you have the skills gender isn't an issue but the harsh truth is that there are so many more barriers and obstacles that female players have to go through before they can be afforded the same opportunities to maybe improve on their gameplay or enter the big leagues to rake in the millions in terms of prize pools and there are just so many external factors that will discourage females at every juncture to even stay in the scene. Things like harassment, misogyny, and the fact that if given a choice, male players will always choose to team with fellow male players for various reasons. Yeah, I can't wrap my mind around it. Lah. But when you guys first started gaming, right? Um, like, like you guys just shared, you came in 
I think more as a hobbyist. You guys started playing more because it was fun. Most likely started on different games before coming into Dota or Dota 2. Was it something that you ladies ever thought that you would reach the stage where you are at, where you actually compete and, you know, perhaps can actually make a career out of it? For me personally, I never thought I would compete as a player, but being in this industry and seeing how production works and everything, I've always wanted to work in production at least and see how everything magically like, starts. So I've never thought about competing. I never thought of earning money or like or gonna like go try to be like a pro. So there's a difference uh, between a competitive player and a professional player. So I would say I'm just a competitive player. Uh, I guess it started because I am free. I'm a very competitive person towards like everything in life. But I just play because I want to get better. But I wouldn't think that it would suffice to be like a stable income job. So I do streaming uh, kind of full time. But uh, I'm also trying to run my own business at the side, maybe in the next few months when I have more time. I had to take over my father's business and stuff, so it was a bit hard to juggle between trying to make a living and to make them proud and to like survive in general. I don't think I actually considered like long-term when I dove headfirst into esports. Okay, so like how what Betty mentioned just now, I also started competing in female tournaments because I'm a competitive person. And then um, I found a couple of like-minded uh, female players in Singapore during my university days. And then we just started competing in like small female tournaments, uh, like land tournaments, offline tournaments over there. Uh, we didn't even care whether it was like a uh, mixed gender, like uh, open tournaments or female tournaments. We just joined for the fun of it. And then we enjoyed uh, proving that we could be better than male players sometimes. And then that just became a thing. And then we decided to stick together to like compete in even more tournaments. And then later on, eventually, because the more events and tournaments you go to, the more people get to know you, right? Because the esports industry is actually very small. So then eventually one day, like one fateful day, uh, a job opportunity came to me to like manage one of the top professional Dota 2 teams in Malaysia. And then to me, that was like a life-changing decision because that was the juncture when I actually had to make a decision whether or not to return to Malaysia and to take up esports as a full-time career. So I took the leap of faith, basically. My parents were obviously not happy, <laughs> caused a lot of friction also. And then that was how I actually entered esports. Uh. Honestly, at that moment, I didn't think about the long-term uh, consequences of this decision whether or not uh, this would be sustainable in the long run, whether or not this job would be like a one-off thing, would there be any continuation after this? But I just wanted to make something out of what I'm so passionate about. So, yeah. So for you, Tiffany, you've done this since 2016? Uh, earlier than or, that. Or before? I think I started competitive gaming in 2013. So it's, it's almost been 10 years. Yeah. So on that note, um, 
basically by doing esports, you turned away from careers that your studies prepare you for at Fachong and at NUS. What did you study at NUS? <laughs> you want to guess? <laughs> I'm going to guess engineering. <laughs> I'm about to say, you look like a mechanical engineer. How? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. It wasn't anything uh... science related. Uh, I'll just share with you all. Uh, I studied political science. What? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, uh, I, I, I don't mean to burst a bubble, but I, I don't think you're going to get a very good job in <laughs> political science. Hey, hey. You never know. Uh. You never know. You never know. You never know. Uh. Nada is still studying, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I Are you still science. studying as well? Uh, I graduated from RMIT in Melbourne. Back in uh, oh. 2020, 2019, end of 2020. Oh, right. so, so, so what, are you political scientist? Oh, no, uh, business. Business, uh. oh, okay. <laughs> wow, it's very different. So what, you know, you, you, you were all doing something entirely different or, or you might still be doing it as well. What did your parents have to say about it when you started to game competitively. And this might be a sensitive topic, right? But I think it's a very relevant topic. For me, I think gaming is something that's even newer. You know, back then, right? 10, 15 years ago, when I decided to go into media, it was already something that my parents couldn't accept already. <laughs> now, I think it's more acceptable. But gaming is, you know, it's, it's really, if I think about like 20 years ago when media was, or even like, 30 years ago, something that not a lot of parents, I think, would um, highly encourage their children going into. What, you know, what kind of feedback did your parents give to all three of you? My dad was, okay, it's understandable. Like every parents would be, you know, like doubting it the first time. But after explaining to him, he was actually very, very supportive. Like, up until now, he's very supportive. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, does he expect to get like another job after you finish your studies? He does still want me to get something that is more stable. Yeah, but 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 just to sustain myself. But stable is not going to get you a gold medal, yo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like a fallback, lah. Uh, but yeah. it's quite cool that he's yeah, he's chill about it and he's supportive about it. Yeah, he he even asked me like. Oh, what is this game? What is this game all about? He would ask me a lot of questions about oh, it. Even. Cool. So it's very nice to see him like being so supportive. Yeah, yeah. I've always been an overachiever, la, like throughout my early uh, years. And then I listened to my parents throughout my early life, basically. I took up a scholarship. I studied in uh, Hua Chong and NUS. But what I've always been really passionate about has always been gaming and esports. It's never changed since I was like in kindergarten or so. At the first chance I got to dive into esports, to form a female team, to compete and everything, I just took up the opportunity. And I didn't tell my parents about me competing outside of my studies back then. And then um, I started doing like shoutcasting and streaming and everything else on the side also. Uh, also unbeknownst to my parents. It was only until the day when like, I wanted to move back to Malaysia to pursue a full-time career in esports that I couldn't really hide it from my parents anymore lah, because 
it was like a move back to Malaysia, you know. So Yeah, it's a huge move, yeah. Yeah, that really caused a lot of friction between me and my family. Um, I had a lot of arguments with my mom because she basically wanted me to like stay in Singapore, get a stable job, ideally like with the government, something that's well-paying and stuff like that. So this was completely unexpected to them. Like I dropped a huge bomb on them when I told them about it. So I didn't really listen to what my mom said. I, I just said like, I don't care, I'm doing this, uh, whether or not you approve of it, because this is my dream. Um, and this is literally a life-changing opportunity because how many people can say that they actually manage a top professional Dota 2 team? And then back then was when Dota 2 was just on the rise in Malaysia, like fresh after the TI3 Orange Esports win, the same team of players, like star players in Malaysia, they just got signed to another organization. And then they asked me to manage their team for them. So to me, that was like incredibly huge. And I wasn't going to give it up for anything anyone says. So I just went ahead with my plans. I moved back to Malaysia, um, moved into the gaming house together with the team. And then... I remember one day my mom even came to the gaming house. Like she found out the address somehow. She came to the gaming house and tried to forcefully bring me home from there. <gasps> and we had a huge fight right there on the roadside. So as a result, for the following two years, I didn't really talk to them. Like my parents or my family, anyone from my family. It was only after a very long while that they just gradually accepted it as a fact. Like oh, she's really doing this now. She's doing this full-time now. We can't stop her anymore. And then, yeah, that was it. And it's only after a few years that I realized that my dad actually silently followed news about me, like about the eSports team that I managed. And he even kept newspaper clippings of my interviews and journey. So yeah. That's such a dead thing to do. And they're all in JB. This is all in JB, wasn't it? Correct. So, so what is what is a gaming house? Sorry. Uh, the gaming house is basically uh what we call a boot camp also, like where you gather all the players in one place and then you train and compete together from one physical location. So it's easier for communication and management also lah, because the team owner and manager they will usually uh either live in the gaming house together with the team members or they will check on the gaming house from time to time. To make sure that uh, everything is being taken care of. Usually in the gaming house, um, you have a cook also. And then maybe like a, a part-time maid of sorts to help take care of everything. Yeah, like what do you think like nutritionists or esports? Another thing that a lot of people don't know about esports is that um, esports players, they take really good care of their diet also. Because for example, um, during this trip to Birmingham, I actually prohibited the entire team from eating fried food <laughs> before their matches oh no. and they really resent I, me for it. <laughs> I started as that about is that the cold sandwiches thing? <laughs> oh dear. Cool. Yeah. So they complain a lot. 
during Catalina. <laughs> no fried food. Here's a cold sandwich. <laughs> oh no! And it must not be easy as well in Birmingham. Okay, but, but okay. So so clearly, clearly, the biggest misconception is that this is just take a gaming chair and a mouse and a monitor and I just click away and play game. So 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 is, is that what you are all doing now as a team? Or was it harder for because of the last two years? That's what we have always been trying to achieve, I would say. But it's just so much harder for a female team to secure sponsorship than male teams. Does it really matter in esports whether you know a male or female? Because you know ultimately, it's not like tennis, right? Where the men have to play five sets and the women play three sets and they play different durations. It's like it's almost equal, isn't it? The yeah, the rules are the same actually. There are no inherent difference in terms of like the rule book or like the way the game is played. But the difference is mainly in the external environment, like the real life environment. We are just lacking in so many factors that you can't really say that females and male players are on the same level playing field. Right, right. Like just the opportunities that are afforded to to ladies, right? It's just a huge gap. And also, there are just too many things to discourage you from staying. Like I've seen so many talented female players leave the scene because of various reasons like that is entirely unrelated to their skills or gameplay you ladies are setting that standard for females in the gaming industry how how do you feel about that you know it's not it's not just about being good at gaming you're representing the female race over here right is do you feel that pressure I would say that the topic of gender hasn't actually come to come into the picture yet um, while we are competing in women's events because it's a relatively safe space, I would say, for us to um, compete amongst one another and then to find out where we stand amongst other female players. So it's only when we join like open tournaments with male teams that's when we will feel the pressure about, like we will feel very aware about our gender and stuff like that. But you can still beat the the teams anyway, doesn't it? Um, some I guess. Just that working together as a team is an entirely different thing to altogether. Mm. Of course. Yeah. So you can have like male players who may not have like as high individual skills, but they can play super well together as a team. So that's a possibility also. So it's quite hard to, for us to actually define our standing amongst like all the teams out there. How have you kept uh, so, so long in this industry for 10 years? In spite of all these uh, you know, negative uh, external and, uh, factors and negative experience with your parents and over the two years and so on. So how, how, what kept you going for 10 years and how have you been able to sustain this longevity in this career? I guess it might still be the innate competitiveness in me that kept me going all these years because like simply out of a need to prove people wrong. If you feel that females shouldn't be in the scene, then I'm going to prove to you that we have a place in the scene. And also like the fact that I managed to block out most of the negative comments, uh, I don't let it affect me or get to me. I think that's a very big factor. Can I just take a step back a little bit? Uh? I think I think um I think Eister was the one who mentioned it a little bit before, right? There's a difference between competitive gaming and pro gaming. Can either one of any one of you explain what the difference is? Because to me, I always thought it was the same thing: competitive and 
pro gaming. Is there a very distinct difference? I guess like professional means like you play it at a professional level. So like you are considered very good. You have recognition. You have a salary. You have a team. You have a team house. You join a lot of competitions, like really big ones, like major, minors, and even TI if they are good enough. Competitive players are just like people that are competitive. I was just, I was just imagining. You say I'm very competitive and everything. I thought like what, like compete who can finish this top of ice cream the quickest. <laughs> something, something, really everything under the sun. <laughs> I, I find myself being rather competitive as well, actually. Like, but I have to tame it down when I when I start to realize because it's quite toxic to myself, like That's for me, right? Like, I I tend to compare myself with others quite a lot. It's great when you're at the top of the game, but when you're not. That's where it becomes very, very demoralizing. Yeah, so I can totally understand that. I just wanted to know because Aistar said she's competitive. Oling said she's competitive. Nada, are you, do you also have that same drive? That that um, I'm just wondering whether it's yeah. the same one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's not just with games. I've competed in track when I was in primary school and secondary school as well. I've competed in taekwondo. Even cooking competitions when I was in secondary school. So I'm always, if there's like a competition, I'm like, yeah, I want to join this. So, so do you always win? Are you always winning? Not always the first, but I always have like a number. Uh, you see, I'm very sure if I go to a, her house now, but I mean, if I, if I could, but I need to, I need a passport. Right? If I open the, her house drawer, there'll be a big, like, <laughs> drawer of medals and she'd be like, oh yeah, where is it? <laughs> yeah, so I used to compete a lot when I was in school. I, like, every possible chance I get, and if, if I see a chance, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to join this. I don't care, I'm going to join it. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, but, 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 but seriously, now that you're now on the normal competition, now that you're the champions, you're kind of like the top, right? So, so Tiffany, how do you think that's going to change for your team? Now that you are champ, you know, champions of Commonwealth, and I guess, of course, you've won many other tournaments as well. Like, so, what, what, what does this mean for you guys now that, you know, you're our champions? How's this going to change for things for you girls? I think even before departing to Birmingham for the Commonwealth Esports Championships, we were talking about like what are the future plans for the team possibly, like or uh, if we really win the championships, for example. So we did think about it, and for me, I've always hoped that I can make it happen for the girls that they can have a proper support structure. Like, be able to train together in the gaming house, be salaried to train and compete full-time, be able to sustain themselves with, like, their esports careers alone. That's what hopefully awaits us, lah. Do you feel like there's a target on your back or something now that, you know, hey, these girls gaming are, like, champions? Like, you know, you're the team everyone wants to beat. I feel like in similar tournaments moving forward, Everyone is probably just going to research our gameplay, our strategies, our hero pools and everything. Actually, that was already the case at Birmingham. Like when we sort of beat everyone in the group stage and then some of the teams that uh, haven't played us before, they were like, 
asking around and like finding out every single bit of information they can about each of the girls, their signature heroes, uh, what, what sort of strategies are they used to playing and stuff like that. So we were already the ones to beat at Birmingham. I feel like this is something that we should get used to probably moving forward because with this win already in the back, in other future tournaments, everyone else is just going to pay even more attention to us and then focus all their resources and energy to find out everything they can about us. So but having, having said all this, you know, of all these uh, high rankings you've got, being champion so on, you're still... And, but you still one thing that you mentioned earlier was how you're still struggling to find like a salary and so and and, and that, that particular stood up for me because it sounds like you are still living kind of like from paycheck to paycheck yeah even up to now um how has this kind of lifestyle kind of shaped the way uh, your, you know your outlook towards life for me because i'm still supported by my family which uh, i'm still lucky yes you know i don't really have this issue for now but at the same time, I'm also earning from, because I'm also a live streamer. So I'm also earning from that as well. But I haven't had the experience of having to live like from paycheck to paycheck. I think that really hit Tiffany more, right? In that, especially in the earlier years of from 2013. How, how, how was that like? And what did that experience do to you? I remember always joking with my friends back then during the early years that we were running on passion most of the time. That just meant that we weren't being paid for what we did in esports. Huh? So we always say like, oh, we're, we are functioning on passion. We are running on passion. That's just our way of saying that. In the early years, it's true that in the esports industry, there were not a lot of paying jobs around yet. So most of the paying jobs were like under the publishing companies, like the game publishing companies, like Garena and all that. So for us, um, we did a lot of like shoutcasting, uh, video editing, tournament organizing, league operations, and stuff like that. But even those were like on a voluntary basis of passion because nobody would invest enough in the scene for there to be enough money going around for everyone to be paid for what they did. So that was the situation about 10 years ago. Lah. And I feel that esports has come a long way since in the past decade, in the sense where there are now a lot more esports organizations, a lot more companies that are really dedicated to the industry itself, a lot more investors coming in also. So there are more paying jobs, like paid jobs going around that we can apply to, that can sustain livelihoods and stuff like that. So we can uh, no longer have to run on passion. <laughs> so, sorry, Tiffany, just to put this into context, uh, what number are you looking at when you said that you were living one when you, you know when you talked about lack of uh, uh, money and like you know like what, what kind of uh, salary were you looking at at the early days? Uh, there weren't a lot of like stable paying jobs basically because like I mentioned esports is revolving around um, tournaments and events mostly so the paychecks are also like very centered around these events and the jobs mostly are very ad hoc basis. So so how much were you living on at that point? When I took on my first job in esports, like the team manager role, it was like 
1k euro, I think, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, wow, which was okay. pretty good, like for a starting job. But later on, when I delved into like um event organizing and everything, it became very unstable and disjointed, basically. Like, literally paycheck to paycheck. Oh. If you didn't work an event, you probably... You're not sure whether or not you have enough money to pay the bill, stuff like that. But I do feel grateful uh, because there are a lot of nice and helpful senpais in esports who gave us like job opportunities or contracted work from time to time. Basically making sure that like people who are running on passion weren't starving to death. Uh. So now that I'm in a more stable place financially myself, I also try my best to pass on that kindness. And I was, uh, I would always help my juniors out to the best of my ability. So I would say that it inspired me to become a more generous and giving person. And I have a more positive view of people uh, having seen so many selfless and kind souls around in the industry. I think some of the most miserable people that I met are people who are like only loyal to a job because you know they, they picked that, that job and uh, they, they thought they wanted to do that job and then they picked that course and, and when they were 18 and then they just stuck with it. So really good for you, you decided that yeah, I'm not going to, I, I picked political science but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to follow my own, I want to follow my own path. Good for you really, Tiffany. And, but, uh, and of course, uh, whatever you just said, I'm very curious to know uh, and maybe uh, uh, Nada and uh, Isa can uh, chime in later. But uh, having experienced all of what you just said and uh, trying to give back to all the juniors and so on, then so what is your psychology of money now? Having gone through you know that that whole cycle. For me, I believe that money is simply a tool to serve us. So we should never really be enslaved by it or lose ourselves in the process of chasing after it. So like a mundane desk job for the sake of earning a salary is not something I want in life because I seek meaning and fulfillment in other things. Like for example, I enjoy creating things, listening to people's stories, competing in games and fighting for causes that I believe in. So to me, it's quite simple. Money has always just been a means to make sure that I can keep on doing all these things that I love. For me, at this stage of life, because I'm still like quite privileged, getting supported by my family still. So growing up, I've always been taught that, you know, black swans will always occur no matter how ignorant you are of them. So my mom would always prepare me and she would always tell me. And that's how I learned how to save since I was little, basically, because it has always been ingrained in my head since I was little. So it has never changed. Before I graduated, like on my final year, I had like a small break. So usually a few, one, one month, one month or two months break before your next semester. So I usually come back to Malaysia from Melbourne. Between this time, uh, my dad told me to try to work at his company to sort of have a grasp of how working would feel like because he expects me to take over the company once I graduated. Uh, And what was the company? What is the company doing? He's a packaging company. He's a packaging company. has a few companies, but mainly two. So he wanted me to take like the smaller one so that I would be the boss someday. But um, at first, I didn't want it, so I told my brother to take it. So I have an older sister. She's working in Singapore, but she 
as civil interest in taking over the business. So my dad looked to me because I'm like the second elder one, but I didn't want to, so I pushed it to my younger brother. But my younger brother is still studying at that time, and he has no interest also because he just wants to be an accountant or a nine-to-nine job and live life. I told my dad that I do not want to do it. I did it for a while, but I realized that it's not my thing. So uh, he was really, really, really disappointed because he kept saying that you can't be playing computer for the rest of your life and uh, you need to start thinking of something that would give you a passive income all the way until you are 30 to 40 years old. Because to my dad, having a business, I just have to work hard the first few years. And once I delegate everything to everyone, I'll be able to just lay back and get passive income. So um, that was what he had planned for me. But I told him that I wasn't going to do it. So he said that, okay, sure. But he wanted to see what I can do to sustain myself. So for me, it was streaming. Uh, I started like maybe two years ago. But uh, like everyone else, when you first started, is is usually not the best. So when I first got my first like paycheck, I immediately like sent to my family's WhatsApp group and I like, told my parents like, oh, see, I'm making like money right now. And then once they saw that uh, I'm making money, they just like stopped uh, asking me my future plans. But occasionally they still like ask me to sit down and will ask like, what are your plans 20 years later? Then they always say like, you can't be playing this for 20 years. And so uh, I told them that, uh, don't worry, I have a backup plan. So which is to start another business. But so that's why I'm not like doing any business right now. The next time you say that, I'd be like, hey, I got gold medal. You go on, Anna. Your gold medal is your yeah, trump card that, right that, now. Yeah, that's going to be a trump card. Like, I'm actually good at this, you know. I'm actually good at this. <laughs> yeah. Did, did it affect how you think about money and career? I mean, you, you're all so young, right? Do you think uh, this this whole experience as competitive gamers or the experience that you're having right now, um, is this going to continue for you ladies moving on for the next few years at least? Just kind of take it as like a, a side hustle to play in land tournaments. So for me, my everyday goal is to focus on getting better in the game. So that's why when I stream, to me, it's just like, me continuing my uh, hustle while also just streaming at the background. So if I improve, I would feel that I'll be able to continue playing competitively. So it's like a balance. It's like win-win, basically. If you listen to the other guests from our previous episodes, there's always this, it's always tied into this concept of having enough. And I think that that's very important because it simply says that, that, you know, that's the value of wealth, right? The value of wealth is relative to what we need. So I'm sure that, so it sounds like, you know, uh, you have all found your wealth already in a, in, to a certain extent. When was this moment as a team in your career so far, we thought that, yes, I found it. I've, I have enough. I, I've, I've made it. I'm actually pretty cool at doing this now and I'll, I'll be fine doing esports. I've made it and I'm pretty cool at doing this. 
I guess for me, that moment of realization was probably a few months into my job at Beta Arena, which was like in 2018. Because this was an esports job, it required all sorts of esports knowledge that I've learned and accumulated over the years in the industry, like event organizing, team management, marketing, PR, talent management, and so on. And it paid well enough and was stable, such that I no longer have to think about money and can completely focus my mind on creative work and events. So for me, that was the moment. Of- All these skills. Thank you, and U.S. political science. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But what you said to yourself it uh, before that moment, though, Tiffany, like between twenty thirteen when you started to twenty eighteen, when you finally had that moment of realization. There were honestly um times when I felt lost and directionless, and when I questioned if I actually made the right decision diving into esports like that. But now looking back, I would say that you should just keep doing what you love. Even if you can't tell which direction you are moving in, as long as you learn something new every day, you're actually moving upwards. And one day, that perfect job might just appear, and you'll be ready for it. You ladies are doing such a wonderful job, by the way. I just love that you guys are riding on your passion and just paving the way for so many young younger ladies following after you. So I just I just want to say I love that for you guys and. You know, you you're really making the girls proud. <laughs> I myself. So, girls gamers, when were you all the most uncool? And Nada is thinking of the day she lost a cooking competition. <laughs> uh, that, that that was uncool. <laughs> I never lost. Yeah. Never yeah. lost oh! yet. No, not yet. <laughs> I guess for me is when I doubted myself. When I was able to pay for my own school fees without my parents' help at the time just from live streaming as well. And before that, I thought I wouldn't do it and I couldn't do it. So just doubting myself, I, I, I didn't know why I did that to myself, really. I would say don't ever regret your decisions and have more faith in yourself. Is that the advice you would give to those uh, you know, who are thinking, thinking about becoming like you esports professionals? That would be a bit different though. I would say like if you are thinking of entering esports, to do your research properly first. Don't just see esports as a land of unicorns and rainbows because there are, in fact, only very few people who can make it all the way to the top and rake in the millions. Like all the prize pools that you see in the news and everything, it's only like the 0.01% of esports. There are so many others who are unable to make it or find their footing in the industry and have had to struggle for a very long time before finding their direction. So if you think you're really good at a game, like really talented, probably set yourself a time limit of a few years to try and make it in the industry um, and keep improving yourself, uh, be ready for any opportunities that come your way. And as always, stay humble and kind. That would be the advice that I'll give. Uh, so what's next for you, for your team now, uh, after the after this victory? We are quite lucky in the sense that um, after this Commonwealth win, we've gotten quite a lot of um, media attention and coverage. And as a result, there have been a couple of sponsors' inquiries um, asking if like they can help us, uh, they can in any way support us or 
help to sustain our esports careers. So we'll see what comes out of it if we eventually get picked up by any of the sponsors or organizations and do intend to continue signing up for international level tournaments representing Malaysia if there are more tournaments like this, which to our knowledge, there are probably a couple lined up um, end of the year and in 2023. So we'll definitely be there as long as our country is um, willing to sponsor our flights and everything. So, yeah. Thank you so much, ladies, for sharing these wise words, um, especially when all of you are so young. And I, I think um, it's not an easy industry uh, or easy path that you ladies have chosen. But the fact that you're doing so well in it and, uh, you know, like I mentioned, just paving the way, uh, making all the, all the girls proud in this industry and making your whole country proud of you, you ladies. I, I love that for you guys. Before we round up, how can our listeners find you on any of the socials that you have? Twitch? Do you guys use Instagram? <laughs> Is there any Facebook anymore? For for the team itself, um, we are active on Facebook. The page name is called Gross Gaming. You can follow us there. As for our personal socials, um, for myself, it's Tiffany Orling Lim on Facebook and Baby Orling on Instagram. Uh, so for me, I'm on Twitch, mainly on Twitch and Instagram uh, and Twitter as well, but my handle is different on all platforms so on twitch is twitch.tv nadaharu and on twitter it's celestra c-a-e-l-e-s-t-r-a and on instagram it's noodle soup noodle soup noodle soup it's it's a pun how do you spell it noodle soup n-u-d-u-s-o-u-p for instagram and twitter it's istarx for Twitch, it's twitch.tv slash iStarXP. Okay, just in case that our listeners who couldn't catch it, we are going to put it, uh, all their handles in our description. So don't worry, okay? Go to the description and find their handles and go and follow them on whichever platform that you are on. Meanwhile, Nada, iStar, you're going to see your live streaming viewer numbers go shoot through the roof thank you ladies thank, thank you so you. much for sharing with us and coming on our show thank you for having congratulations us. once again once again on the win so let us tell you about this cool place especially if you're heading up to malaysia soon battle arena southeast asia's biggest esports club imagine seventeen thousand square foot of high-end gaming that sounds pretty cool to me battle arena malaysia jaya shopping center battalion jaya selangor malaysia yeah another time for uh, time for another holiday right now when you're heading over you just you know should check out other guests coming out on a new episode or so check out our old episodes. We have more than enough episodes of Uncool to cover your entire flight to KL. Unless there's a flight delay or they change your gate many times at KLIA, then I, I don't know. Lah. And of course, if you are listeners in Malaysia, hello to you. In the meantime, do like us, give us a five-star rating and remember to click follow on our podcast because it's cool to be uncool. Like this show? Then rate it five stars and subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uncool is a podcast by creatives at work. It is produced, written, and hosted by Sean Lee Wen-Chong and co-hosted by Yenling Lo, co-produced by Raven Lim, and edited by Ray Ng. Uncool. It's cool to be uncool. On the next episode of Uncool... What happened?
was one of the writers wrote about me. The editor was like a new editor, and he's like, I'm gonna put you in as one of like the top sexiest in Malaysia. And I had one aunt just had like this throwaway phone, and she just like vote all the time. So I got <laughs> number one. And cool, new episodes every Saturday.